This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red for the latest of our summer specials as we look back on Wembley, look forward to the season ahead in the company of Forest fans, former players and people connected to the club. And I'm delighted to be joined by Proel. I still always think Greg Mitchell's the biggest Forest fan who comes on this podcast regularly, but maybe this man will rival him in uh, Matt Ford. Matt, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm very good, thank you. Still buzzing. Still buzzing. Yes. Well, I mean, I was going to say, uh, I still watch Wembley videos all the time. I watched that Simpsons one today of the season mashup. I don't know if you've seen that, that Simpsons yeah. NFFC one that's really good. I mean, how are you after Wembley? Is it still, has it sunk in yet or not? It's sunk in. It's more that I'm just still on a natural high. That every day since then, like everyone else, I just that's all I'm thinking about. That your your mind immediately just goes to firstly the memories of the final whistle mainly, and then the day after, and then just now the fixtures are out. Getting excited about it. We're playing just the just all the things that go with being a Premier League football club, being on the Premier League section of the BBC website, seeing us on Sky Sports News more already, all those little things. But just now, obviously, before the season started, we're just in that lovely period where we can just enjoy the reality that we're a Premier League football club without without yet any of the immediate pressures that come with it. True, true. I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. Um, obviously, you were at Wembley. Your, your experience wasn't the typical Forest fan experience, I guess, because you were in the Royal Box. And I've heard you on your Comedians FPL podcast with John Richardson, which I really like, saying, you know, I think you said Gary Bertles and Frank Clark had to shut you, you know, tell you to put yourself together. In fact, I spoke to Gaz about this recently and he said you were an absolute mess. <laughs> so if you don't mind elaborating, what was it like for you? Um, I couldn't stop crying. Uh, even now it's sort of bringing it back. Just seeing them walk out at Wembley itself was such a big deal. And this group of players, obviously, and so many local lads in there and so many that have come through the academy, just so proud of them. And obviously for Nottingham, we used to go to Wembley all the time and we haven't been for ages. So just to see the new Wembley caked in red and to see our boys walk out there was just, I couldn't, I was kind of hyperventilating for the first five or ten minutes. I actually don't really remember much of the game. I just kept... um, just go crying and then <laughs> Bertles just kept putting his hand on my shoulder telling me to like calm down and Guy Moosey as well was there thank God but I just couldn't contain myself you know it, it, it is um it's a very special thing to see Forrest play at Wembley after such a long time and then just that explosion of happiness at the end just that total euphoria was I think along with everyone else that was there that day or wherever people watched it I just think that something you will never forget. But yeah, I mean, the game itself obviously was a terrible game of football. That's not why I was crying. I was just, in a way, I thought, I think there's, maybe it's generational, but there's certainly a part of me that wondered if we would ever actually do it. 
mm. ever. You know, there's a part of you that because it's taken us so long already, we don't have a divine right to ever get back up there. Obviously, you can see that things are going in the right way with the ownership and everything. Um, and on the pitch, thanks to Steve Cooper and the players, things were going in the right way. But there is a there's always that doubt at the back of your mind. You think, well, it might not happen. You know, we've been close before. So I just think that overwhelming feeling. I mean, it came back. I felt like um I felt like William Shatner when he'd returned from space. You know, I'd seen <laughs> something so big and profound. I, I was incapable of putting it into words. Were you at the semi-final as well? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was again, you know, you kind of take those as a as two, I mean, I think of the three days as a as like a, a sort of trilogy of m- amazing experiences: the semi-final, of the final, and then the celebration in Nottingham the day after. I mean, it's just mad this stuff because before the semi-final second leg, you think oh, we're probably favourites, but we've been here before and we've been here before against Sheffield United, and then just that explosion of uh, ecstasy at the end of that game mm-hmm. was amazing. And uh, and then you're like, oh my god, we're going to Wembley, and immediately you just have to readjust. You're like, right, we are going to Wembley now, and the club shop starts selling T-shirts that, of course, I bought saying Forest are going to Wembley, and then you're at Wembley, and it's like you, you've had to emotionally readjust so quickly after 23 years of pain. You're mm. like, oh god, well th- this is on. You know, it feels like a shotgun wedding, really. You're like, oh, we're going to Vegas, we're getting married. You know, it's just like this is happening now, and uh, it just all happened so quickly. But uh, just amazing after a year of. You know, obviously the Bournemouth game, people think about the Luton game on Good Friday, just like, ah, games that we might have got something more out of. But what an amazing way to do it in the end, to just have those three mad days, the the second leg, the final, and then the rally, where just we all got to go absolutely do lally and really, really celebrate. And just three times we got to really release that tension. And uh, I, I don't think we'll ever have a season like it again in terms of just that firework display of an ending. I think things have been so fast since Wembley, it's been or since Sheffield United, it's been so relentless. I'm not asked anyone this, but what would it have been like if we'd lost that shootout emotionally and lifting the club up and putting that team back together? It was a proper defining moment really for Forest that they had winning that game has opened up so many doors at Wembley and changed everything, hasn't it? That's a really good point in a way. That's more of a sliding doors moment, maybe. Because in a way, I think we were favourites to win the final. And whatever the argument is about the penalties or whatever, and, and however bad the game was, Huddersfield never really looked dangerous. We we were the better side on the day and it was a bad game of football. But the penalties, I mean, like everyone else, there was a good hour, really. Most of the second half and then extra time was excruciating. Where I genuinely felt, you know, you just convinced it had slipped away again. Mm. where we're all just there, just watching this tragedy unfold, powerless to stop it. Um, just We couldn't believe. And then, obviously, Bree Samba, <laughs> a gift from the gods, pulls out three incredible saves. And again, you're just like, oh, God, this has changed quickly. It, it's it's on. We're going to Wembley. You know, that's, uh, that is obviously what makes football so very, very special, is it, it, you're on a knife edge. And I just think for Forrest, obviously, so often... We've felt like we haven't had our luck a, a long time. I mean, if we're really honest, there are previous seasons where we probably weren't good enough to go up. Like the, leagues are pretty fair, really, on the whole. And you know, you can you can rue missed decisions and things, but on the whole, there are times where if we'd have gone up under Billy Davis, you think, I don't know what sort of season we'd have had in the Premier League immediately after that. You know, I mean, the, the Paul Hart one's the one where you think that was a quality side. And if we'd have added to that, I think that team would have done well in the Premier League. But on the whole, 
it's always felt like it's been a bit of a white knuckle ride. Whereas with this season with Steve Cooper, the crucial difference has been, I think we are the best. I think by the end of the season, we were the best team in the league. And the only reason we weren't top was because of the terrible we'd start, start we'd had under under the previous management. So by the end, I think that belief had really just transferred onto everyone. So when you think you're not getting the luck, that's when it feels really unfair. You think, oh my God, they actually really deserve it this time. And again, saving penalties isn't luck. Samba had done his research and mm. he's a really good goalkeeper. So um, we, we did get to the final merit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about really. We've been there so many times on the wrong side of semi-finals that it was just nice to, Thank God. I mean, I can't imagine. Imagine we'd lost. Oh, dear. Well, we, we don't need to imagine it, really, because we've been there so many times that we, we can draw on that deep, scarring personal experience. True, true. Does it change your me- mental state in a way? This is a deeper question. Not just like um, a constant high. I mean, like, like just wandering around the street three weeks later, just feel a bit more cheerful because that thing has happened. No doubt. No, I just feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I think everyone feels like this. Forrest being out of the Premier League really, really bothered me. And I realise this is a generational thing and maybe slightly younger fans who've grown up with us outside of the Premier League, I get they will still get it, but maybe it's not quite the same. But when I grew up, we were a big club. So it's always kind of made no sense to me that we're not there. I know that we're not there on merit, but it's driven me mad, actually, Forrest not being in the Premier League. And it... Always being talked about the history and everything, which is is wonderful and that I'm so proud of, but it's used as a stick to beat us with a lot of the time. So in a way that the history can become an insult if it, from other fans, you know, you're not famous anymore and stuff like that. And that really gets to me. So now I just feel like it's almost like this is the thing with football is they're effectively achieving your ambitions for you. These are ambitions we have that we have no control over. It's not like a job interview where some of it's in your own hands or an exam or a driving exam or something where it's in your power what happens forest is such a big part of our lives but as fans we are pretty powerless really although to be fair you know in that semi-final i think the forest fans rallying in that semi-final is one of the most incredible things i've ever seen Mm. and probably did have an effect that probably kept forest in the game the intervention of the fans so there are times when you can do it but on the whole you're putting your, your hopes and dreams onto the shoulders of some pretty young men. Mm. And when they achieve it for you, you feel like you've achieved something yourself. You genuinely feel my life is better now that Forrest have got promoted. I do feel like I've achieved something that we have achieved something collectively together, even though I played no part in it. You know, it's it's such a special feeling. And you just wear that shirt with a bit more pride now. And um, it, it's, it's wonderful. It, it, I, I don't, maybe when the season starts, let's see how things go and all the rest. Of it. I think we'll do really well, but um I just think this buzz, I, I don't want it to end. I don't want this lovely, warm feeling to end because I'm just so proud of them. And I'm always, obviously, as we all are, very proud to be a Forest fan, but it just feels very special right now. And, and yeah, it just it, the world, you know, the, the sky seems brighter, the water tastes better, you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I was, um, it's no uniform day, or I think you used to call it Mufti Day at my, my back, back in the day when I was kid. No uniform day at my kid's school. And today I dropped them off. And there was this little boy, who I think would be in year two, so he'd be six or seven, wearing full forest kit. And he was talking to this other mum. Uh, this is in Leicester. Sorry, I should say that to qualify it, to make oh, wow. it more relevant. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I live on the northern edge of Leicester. So everyone's a Leicester fan. All kids are Leicester fans. This little boy, 
full Forest kit, and he was talking to a mother mum, and he was going, Forest are the best, not Leicester City. I absolutely loved it. And I wanted to walk up to him and go, you Reds in, oh in the bar. And he probably thought, you know, what is this old man talking about? So I didn't do it. But yeah, I, I thought that was great. Uh, the, and kids will do that with a bit more pride now. My little girl's eight. And I think I've said this before. She had a forest key keychain uh, on her coat and she took it off because all the boys were saying that forest are rubbish. This was at the start of last season. And now, you know, kids don't need to think that anymore. And it does make a generational difference. So I, I think I think it's brilliant, to be fair. Bit of a rant. I think here. it is. And and, and that's, a, that's such a good point because actually I, I've... I'll always support the current team, obviously. I'm desperate for them to do well. But as a fan, I have slightly lived in the past. You know, the forest shirts that I wear, I mean, I always buy the kits. <laughs> Such a sad gear. Anything with a forest tree on, I'll buy it. I mean, like my my bag that I take everywhere. I get so no, yeah. much grief for it when I'm on the road. But I'm just like, I just want a forest bag and I've got a forest water bottle and everything. Um, but the, the shirts I tend to wear more are like the 90s ones. Partly because mm. they're back here. So like, uh, <laughs> I know I've got a new one. I can't that's the main it. reason. That's the main <laughs> reason. But I'm stuck in like I still want PS3 on the back of everything. Now I'm like I want Yates and Warrell and Spence and Johnson and names like that on the back of my shirt. I want to wear Forest shirts with Premier League patches on the side that are the new kit. So it just it's like reset. It's, it's similar to what happened with England. Like when a new generation actually does something, it creates new memories that are way more profound. So then you're into that, you know, and I think last season's kit, particularly the um, Sherbert one, yeah. that will go down as, that will be as iconic as that famous yellow one from the 90s. They'll be doing reissues of these kits on the Forest website in 40 years time. And I just think it's so good to now have like a new group of heroes to worship, like a new golden era to, to revel in, because it's not nice living in the past. But if, if if the present isn't giving you much joy, then you really don't have much choice. So now... We can uh, we can look forward to the future and buying you know I can't wait for the new kit to come out and I am going to buy it and I am going to have the Premier League patches on the side, you know I can't wait for that I can't wait, you know I'm one of the I'm, I'm genuinely I do this I buy old well they're not old but I buy the Premier League I might have them here <laughs> the badges yeah the Premier League I keep them in the little thing so that when I buy nineties forest shirts if there are, if I've got like a few in my collection that I don't know, here we go. I actually have an envelope in my office of <laughs> Premier League patches <laughs> that I then iron on to any like 90s forest shirts that I buy. Yeah. Just to make them, you know, more authentic. <laughs> so it will be nice actually to, to be able to update the Premier League patch that I'm ironing on to so many of my clothes. I was such a loser. But, well, you know, that is it. That is physical proof that I've been living in the past too long. And now I can buy the nice round ones that just have the lion's face on and, um, you know, be sad in a different way. I can't wait. I play it. Well, I listen to your Premier League FPL podcast. I, I'm, you know, play FPL. I can't wait till I can pick Forest players, although I am nah. quite, quite obsessed. I do look at the fixtures and take it seriously. So I might have to be careful when I do it. But Brennan's going in and, you yes. know, whoever the goalie is, it's exciting, isn't it? Definitely, definitely Brennan's going in. And they're all just markers. Like when the Premier League did that gift the other day where they refreshed, you know, from the old league to the new one, and you see Forrest there. I mean, I'd bite your hand off for fifth or fourth and bottom now, to be honest. I think everyone <laughs> yeah. would just stay in that league for as long as possible. Um, it was great. 
and just seeing it on all the fixtures and all the uh, alongside the the Premier League has changed so much since the last time we were there. Even just small things like the branding and everything and the way that it's covered on Sky. Like for our name and our logo and our crest and our stadium to be in that world is new. Mm. You know, it's changed immeasurably since we were last there. So like it's new for all of us, even those who remember us being there last time, because it's a completely different beast now. So I would like I love watching Premier League football. The tragedy has been for 20 odd years, that's been like a separate thing to watching Forest. I go and watch Forest and then as, a, as almost like it's almost like watching a different sport, you know. Oh, and I'll also watch some Premier League football on the side. Now, after so long, thank God, the, the two are the two are beautifully combined. One of the things I've written down on my notes here was a new generation of heroes like Worrell and Yates. I mean, I think Brennan's destined for the very top, personally, like Liverpool man, new level. But lads like Worrell and Yates, see, there's a scenario now where they probably don't have to leave and they can keep growing with the club, you'd hope, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain players you have an emotional connection. I mean, Brennan Johnson is one of the best footballers, certainly outside of the Premier League last year. And now, I mean, you look what he's doing for Wales. You're like, that is someone who's absolutely going to thrive in the top division. He is an exceptional footballer. He's a mad talent. You know, Jed Spence as well. And I know we only had him on loan, but holy crap. Like, they are incredible footballers. They are top-level footballers. And we're very lucky that we've had them at Forest. Um, Warren and Yatesy, obviously Brennan has the same thing as well. And with his heritage, it's just so special that obviously his dad was an icon at Forest. Um, and I think it's really special that he's been able to do that thing and just go that one extra step further and help us get promoted and, and we'll play in the Premier League for Forest, hopefully. <laughs> that may, may change by the time this, who knows? But yes, Warren and Yatesy are like, I think this with all of them, actually, they're just, as well as they, they understand the city, and they understand the people in it. I, I think they have a, a, a real emotional connection. You could see what it meant to them. It meant a lot to everyone who wore a shirt that day at Wembley. But you can see that it means a bit extra to, to some of the more local lads. And, and they've developed, they've grown up at Forest. You know, in a way, I don't, as, as fans, I think we don't really have any conception of what it's like for players a lot of the time. And obviously they are developing. Sometimes you meet them, they're teenagers. Mm. Our hopes and dreams are on the shoulders of teenage boys. I mean, like, it's absolutely incredible, actually. And they're expected to be simultaneously elite athletes, ambassadors for, for the club and by extension for the city, as well as to handle all the pressure that goes with football. It's so difficult for them. And uh, I think people like Ryan Yates and Joe Worrell handle it so well. And they feel like already very mature, grown-up men. And they're, they're relatively young compared to the rest of us. Joe Worrell feels, you know, feels like he's been around forever already. He's only 20-odd. I mean, he's mad. It's mad how mature a leader he is. Mm. Um, so they, I think, the, those two in particular, I mean, every member of that squad, you go through the squad and you have a different sort of emotional relationship with all of them. But I think Warren and Yatesy have really, they really understand what the club means to people. And, and you can see in return that bit, that bit where Joe Worrell falls to his knees at the final whistle. Uh, my God. You know, and obviously, as a club, Pierce is like the leader. We all try and like, you know, you, and I think Warrell is the closest thing we've had to a Stuart Pierce since Stuart Pierce. You know, he is like the closest thing, someone who emotionally understands. He's like connected to the fans in a way that is so real. And uh, it's just so cool that like a Forest lad is like a Nottingham boy has captained us back to the Premier League on that final day. You know, obviously, I know Lewis Graven's the club captain, but like, and he's been amazing. You know, they're just all of them are just wonderful. But it's so cool that 
that Warren has played such a leading part in that. You mentioned Joe at the end there in those scenes, and everyone at Wembley in that far end, you know, there were probably like eighty-year-old men swinging scarves over their head, bouncing to freed from desire, and then you know the the whole reaction to it. And it came from such adversity. I mean, it was the perfect way to go up in many ways, though I never want to do it again. So I'm yeah. bumbling towards a question here, which I discussed with Colin Frey the other day. Does it get, you know, as it peaks, does it get better than this? Or have we had the the, the highest emotional high we're going to get with Forrest now, even if they win the FA Cup or finish top six in the Premier League? I think all these things are relative to, to what's gone before them. And obviously we've had better days with Forrest, we finished third in the Premier League in 1994-95. So it's not that we've this is the best we've ever done. It's it's it comes on the back of something so terrible that went on for so long. So it's the release of tension, not just of this season, but of so nearly a quarter of a century, really. And if and the malaise had set in before then. So obviously before with with Clarkey, when we finished third, we'd been down, but really it felt like we bounced back up and the course had corrected. We're a big club and we're back quickly like immediately really whereas this has been like a trend a trough a, a, like a, a a canyon of despair that has just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper that and one we thought we'd never claw our way we're like that guy and what's that found i've never actually seen it 127 hours the rock climber oh i can't watch like, it yeah I know chisel his arm off and climb out that's what we're like you know and he will have had better days than the day that he had to chew his own arm off <laughs> but actually <laughs> Climbing out of a canyon when you thought you were going to die makes it a really good day. So it's like that, really. I hope, obviously, that is not our peak. Mm. That we will go on and win trophies and go to Wembley again and climb the league and, and do all sorts of things, play in Europe. And I've, I've, I've a fair amount of confidence. I think we will do that in time. Um, but that release of energy, of tension, was so special that I think even if... Even bigger achievements, I think, probably won't come close to the emotional impact of that because that all those things will exist relative to this, which is we will look at that moment as the moment it changed, as the moment we were back. And I think that is such a big deal that, it, that, that really, in, in that regard, emotionally, it is big. I mean, if we win the Premier League, then obviously that's that's that again times a thousand. But for now, I think it was a release of tension that had been coming for so long that... I mean, it's like, um, you know, if you leave a Coke can for 10 years, they basically explode of their own accord. <laughs> I mean, I've never left one that. Whereas if you just open it on the day, you get a bit of fizz. But like, it is that it is that build-up of those bubbles that causes a more violent explosion. And I think, you know, even if we achieve on paper bigger things, I think I think it would be really hard to get close to the the pure mad ecstasy of those, those couple of days. Do your... Non-forest mates, your wife, girlfriend, whatever you got, you know, your brothers, sisters, they get what it means. Like my mates, most of my mates support wolves because of where I grew up. They were like dead happy for me and that. But then other people, like my missus, was just like, oh, that's good kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when, I mean, most people who know me know what it means. And a lot of my mates are football fans and they are genuine. You know, John Richardson is genuinely delighted that it, Forest will play Leeds in the Premier League next season. And... Um, but the vast majority of my friends who are football fans. I mean, I don't know any of them that aren't happy for us. I, I had so many messages, I'm sure so many Forest fans did. And I come from a family of Forest fans anyway, so they're all chuffed. And my girlfriend's delighted. And everyone just bought into it, I think. I think particularly 
the last few years, I think what really, obviously there's a really long tail, but that season a couple of years ago when we missed out on the playoffs by goal difference, I think that really stunned people who didn't follow Forrest. They'd, they'd sort of tuned in a little bit because we were doing quite well under Sabri and they were just so stunned by that. And I think in a way since then, there's always a, a level of people that are rooting for Forrest because of our history and for a whole number of reasons. So I, I, I always think we're, we're a good club to support because people do like us. But I think from that point on, your average football fan was like, what is going on at Forest? Specifically from that point, I think that was such a mystifying moment that they're just so pleased we've managed to do it this time that I think it just turned the dial up a bit for the average neutral in terms of wanting us to do it. So on the whole, the vast majority of people are delighted. I mean, it was so funny. You know, I came back from <laughs> Wembley and then that amazing day in Nottingham afterwards where we all got to go to Market Square again after a very long time. And... I was telling mates, you know, you'd say to people, oh, I've just come back from Nottingham, there's this huge thing. And they're like, oh, why? What's happened? <laughs> like, well, Forrester got promoted. They're like, oh, right. Oh, is that the football team you support? And you're like, oh, my. I mean, short of having Forrest tattooed across my forehead, I don't think there's anything else I've known more for than being a Forrest fan. <laughs> so, oh, my God. You just realise that there are some poor people out there who don't enjoy football, and those people miss out. They miss out on joy. And, of course, 23 years of pain. <laughs> yes, you mentioned Marcus Square there. When did you find out you were doing it? Were you sober at the time, or did you have to drink a lot of coffee to get ready for it? Yeah, I was sober. They so mentioned something after the semi-final. They said, oh, if um, we get promoted, would you do something with Colin Frey in Market Square? Because I'll do anything with Colin Frey in Market Square. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you want it to be official? Okay, yeah, that's fine. And um, so obviously at the back of your mind, on the day... I was like, well, I can't get... I mean, ordinarily, I went to a lot of... There were whole years of going to watch Forest. I can't really remember because <laughs> just sort of, you know, you get to the cross keys at 11 a.m. or whatever, and you, have, you make a day of it. And you were forced to make a day of it because for a long time, the football wasn't very good. So if, I imagined going to watch Forest at Wembley, bouncing around, giddy, tipsy, and, and, and that's how, you know, all, all that. But obviously, because I had that at the back of my mind, I was like, well, I can't get plastered and then be a sweating, gibbering mess the following day if this thing's on. So sadly, I had to keep a lid on it. So I had, a, I had a couple of drinks, but didn't really go for it. And then on the day, didn't drink a drop because more than anything, actually, I just really wanted to remember them both. I really wanted to remember everything about seeing Forrest play at Wembley. I wanted to remember walking up Wembley Way, all the colours. I wanted to remember seeing all the scarves and everything. I wanted to remember the game. And I wanted to remember the moment at the end and all those moments, you know, they lift the trophy, they go back onto the pitch and all that. You just want, you just want to suck it all in. And uh, I wanted to remember everything about the following day. So I didn't want to come out of that and go, oh, I can't remember it. Oh, I was hungover or drunk and it's all a bit of a blur. I wanted to have that imprinted in my mind forever in HD, in a, in a non-corruptible format, like an NFT, just in there forever that I can always access because you know that those things are going to be very special moments as a fan. And of course, they've been very rare. So sadly, uh, I hate to disappoint people that I was completely sober. And uh, yeah, but as a result, I do remember it all. Um, next season then, uh, you mentioned John Richardson and Leeds. Is that the game you're looking forward to most? Or are there any more that you, you really, you know, eyeing up? Yeah, I mean, oddly, Man United was the first one I looked for. And I think it's partly because, again, 
slightly stuck in the 90s. But I really remember when we first got promoted back in 94, 95, and we played Ipswich away, but our first home game was against Man United. It was an amazing one-all draw where Colin Moore scores that great goal. And in a way, that's like, for, for, I think it is a generational thing, but playing Man United is proof that you're back in a way. Mm. And then, so, th- and we got them on Boxing Day, which is great. Um, and yes, Leeds, because of John. I mean, obviously City. I mean, all the players, everyone talks about the away days, but I'm just so excited to see Salah, De Bruyne, Haaland, Foden, Fernandez. Uh, you know, Declan Rice, Harry Kane, see all these people pay at the city ground. I think that's more exciting. It's great to go to these away games and these, you know, big stadiums and, and see Forest hopefully win a few games away from home against big clubs. But it's more seeing them come here. I think that's way more of a thrill. It, it's seeing Harry Kane play at the city ground, seeing Son, you know, all these global superstars. That's what really excites me. So City, Liverpool, United, Leeds. And the, but even then, like smaller ones, like, I mean, all these games have been so long. They're all massive. You go, oh my God, Spurs, Everton, West Ham. I can't wait for them. But I think United, oddly, was the one that I looked for. Then Leeds, then City, then Liverpool. You mentioned all the, that global array of superstars. And obviously, they don't all play for one team. But there's enough good players in every team to make every <laughs> fixture look pretty bloody daunting, really. Yeah. You're, you said you're confident for next season. I think I am as well with Steve Cooper in charge and we'll see how the signings pan out and what the 11 we end up with is. But I am confident. So what are you aiming for or hoping for? I just want us to stay up, really. But I think we could do mid-table or maybe maybe a little bit better. I mean, if you th- obviously the FA Cup is a different beast. But the way we played against Premier League teams this year was sensational against Arsenal, Liverpool and uh, Leicester. Um, and the Liverpool game, in a way... Even more impressive, even though we lost, you're like they were a different class to Arsenal and Leicester, and we ran them very close. So, if we can keep hold of Johnson, I mean, he is an exceptional talent, and I think whoever we've got in goal is going to be really good. Um, and we've got great backups in goal as well. So actually, and with Cooper, and that's the crucial thing is Cooper, and I, I kind of trust them in the transfer market. And I think sometimes when you're a newly promoted team, if you look at Swansea did really well for a while, Reading did, Stoke did very well for a while. I think newly promoted teams, if you start quite well, it takes other teams a while to figure you out. And I think I would back us to start well. I think there's a momentum and a belief around this club now and that crucially the talent to do something. So I would bite your hand off for fourth and bottom. <laughs> but I think, mid, I think mid-table will maybe a bit better. What do you when think? Is- uh, I, I've said on here before that I think they'll finish 15th. I think Fulham, Bournemouth, Leeds, Southampton, uh, Brentford, assume they don't get Ericsson. I think we could finish above all them. I know Leeds have been busy in the transfer market, but, um, you know, Phillips is, looks like he might go. Bamford's, unfortunately, seems to have his injury problems. Rafinha, so... Yeah, I think we can finish above Leeds and you can win your whatever bet you have with John yeah. Richardson in the end. <laughs> I'm quietly confident. I mean, I was going to, you know, to me, Cooper's the biggest asset along with Brennan that we have. Like you say, you can't, sounds harsh, you could replace almost any other player in that team apart from Brennan, I think. Unless you've got 50, 60 million quid, you have to spend that much. But Cooper's such a big asset. And I was going to ask you, is Cooper already, no one's going to touch Clough, obviously, but is Cooper up there with Frank Clark now and like Johnny Carey and people like that as great forest managers? Oh, yeah, because he's done something that so few people manage to do. 
so many have tried. You know, you look at the list of managers we've had since 1999. So many of them have tried. I mean, it, it, and some terrible times. That it, it, that in itself tells you how exceptional he is. That that he and none of the others were able to do it. He did it. And you can, I think, the style of football we play under him is brilliant. I love watching Forrest under him. You know, under Sabri at time and under Hooten. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's a real lesson for fans because I am basically thick when it comes to football. I know that if the ball goes in the net, that's good. If it goes in our net, it's bad. I can tell you what offside is. I mean, you can broadly tell if a team is playing good or bad. You know, if you, you're holding possession, if you're creating more chances. I can see those sorts of things. But I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, he's playing two people in front of a back three and then the wing backs are bombing on and they go to four... That stuff just mystifies me. I, I'm, I literally just follow the ball like that. Like, I've got no <laughs> idea what's going on. So as a fan, you're like, how can basically players who were playing under Hooten be transformed under Cooper? Because as, as fans sometimes go, it's up to the players. You're like, well, actually, if the boss is telling you to do something and play in a particular way, it is on the manager. And it's also then up to the manager to, to get the best out of these players and play them in a system that works. And that is exactly what he's done. And it just feels like the hand breaks off and that we've finally got the benefit of having all this wonderful talent that we've had at Forest for quite a while. So I just think he's incredible. I mean, the miracle he worked this year is, is, is exceptional. He, he deserves every award going for it. To be bottom of the day, I mean, obviously we all know what he did. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. So whatever happens next, he, he has a very special, secure place in Forest history. And he is up there. He's one of the best managers we've ever had. There's no question. I mean, he... It is almost entirely down to him because under a different manager with effectively the same group of players, it was a relegation fight. Mm-hmm. And managers have to have something about them, don't they? Like as a person, I don't know. You, you, I've met him only three or four times. You're, um, you've probably met him about that and probably spent more time in his company than me. Does he have this kind of, not aura, but a draw about him or something that, you know, people want to listen to him and play for him, do you think? I mean, I've only met him twice. I met him the night... Um, so after the final, I met him very briefly, and then, I, and then the second time I met him was on the balcony at the castle. Oh, okay. so, I thought you'd have met him all. That's interesting. Um, I, haven't, I haven't met him that often, but he is uh, very impressive in a way that is very unassuming. Mm. In that he is almost without ego, so he's very different to Clough in that regard. He's he doesn't want to be the centre of attention. He has. He's very modest, I think. I think, in a way, he's too modest for his own good. He's clearly an exceptional, gifted manager, able to motivate individuals and get them to perform collectively. I mean, that is, that's the hardest skill in management, is how do you keep these players on side? How do you keep them motivated through thick and thin? And he, from the outside world, it looks like he's sort of done it with ease. I'm sure it's not been as easy as it's looked. But he obviously has something very special about him. And I think his lack of ego and his modesty, you know, I, I'm sure he backs himself as a manager, but, uh, and he's, he's right to, you know, he's exceptionally gifted, but I think that there's an unassuming um, way about him that is very attractive, that he is purely here to get results. He is here to make Forrest as successful as possible. So far, he's done a phenomenal job and he wants to take us as far as he possibly can. And he's really good at motivating the players that he has. 
So I think there's something really magical about Steve Cooper and you can sort of feel it when you meet him. You just think this is a very, very special man who is entirely focused and he's lovely and very friendly and very warm. He totally understands what it means to people. I mean, he has a real emotional connection to the fans. That's where he's very similar to Clough is he totally understands what it means to people. He knows what football means to people and he knows what Forest means to us. And he wanted to give us those days and he has. So I think that's, you know, in a way, he is very much his own man and he's a very different character, but they understand the emotions of football and of people. I think they fundamentally, he understands people. Mm. And that is, I mean, in any management role, in any industry, that is a that is a gift that, you know, emotional intelligence and how you relate to people and how you inspire and motivate them is something that there are conferences all over the world that billionaires and CEOs go to trying to understand what that magic, indefinable thing is. And Steve Cooper has it. Mm, yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, last few minutes, is there anything... Well, you've given us your time for free. I mean, I've plugged your Comedians FPL podcast a good, good few times. Anything else you want to plug you've got going on? Well, I'm doing the Edinburgh Festival um, with my show Clowns to the Left and Me, Jokers to the Right. And um, I have a fortnightly residency at the Duchess Theatre in London, the political party, where I interview politicians, uh, some of whom are Forest fans, uh, most of whom aren't. And um, <laughs> what else? Uh do you know what? Whenever I'm asked, I'm a terrible self-promoter. I know we'll finish this call and I'll have thought, what else is there? Uh, okay, what do you think? Just, just, uh, just buy some tickets. <laughs> two questions coming off that. Um, I take it Huddersfield's not on your schedule anytime soon because you're not going to sell many there. Well, you know what? I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't bet against it, although I'm not gigging in Huddersfield anytime soon, so you are correct. But I met... Um, I met Jordan Rhodes the, the two days before the final. Mm. I was at Wembley to film something with Natalie Jackson for Eastman Day and Jason Lee. And uh, the Huddersfield team were there on the pitch. And I was there in a 90s forest shirt. We were literally the only people in the stadium. I thought, oh, no, they're going to think I'm trolling them, that I've set this up on purpose. And Jordan Rhodes came over and was like, oh, Matt, I guess, uh, you know, this is the podcast that you and John do. <laughs> So we had a lovely chat and he was he was lovely. And then um, I was like, oh, well, I, I, I didn't know how to handle it. Because obviously you, your instinct is to go, well, good luck for Sunday. But obviously I can't say that mm. to him. But I was like, I oh, just hope oh, you have a nice game and I really wanted to win, you know. And then he texted us after the final. And I just thought it was such a lovely thing, you know, that he'd been through that. And with all the perceived injustice from the Huddersfield side, but one of their players in probably quite a dark moment after they've just lost at Wembley. And obviously some of them feel very sore about that still mm. for him to just send us a message saying, Oh, you know, well done. And he sent me a lovely message just saying how happy he was that Forrest was back in the premier league. And uh, I just thought, what, a, what an amazing thing in that moment to do that. So actually um, most people are fine, aren't they? Whoever they support, even if they support Huddersfield, even if they support <laughs> other, other teams that aren't doing so well. Um, Last question. Personal curiosity, because I interview people all the time for this podcast, and we all yeah. have a united bond with Forrest. You interview politicians from both camps, and you're firmly in one, and I've listened to some of your podcasts. Um, how do you interview the people who you have very little in common with politically and not think you're an, an idiot sometimes? <laughs> well, I I get asked that a lot. <laughs> a lot of friends ask me that. Mm. <laughs> and then, yeah, I... I'm a general fan of politics in the same way that, and I have my own opinions. So it's same with football is that I'm a Forest fan through and through, but I'm still interested in what 
people from other clubs have to say or moments in other clubs' history or players or what goes on in football in general. So it, that's the closest thing I can liken it to is that I disagree with some of the people that I interview. I mean, even the people that I agree with, I'll disagree with some of what they say. And and on the flip side, you know, there might be politicians in parties I would never vote for, but there'll be things that I agree with them on. So you, there's common ground to be found. And also, I do find it more interesting talking to people that I disagree with because I know what I think. So just interviewing someone that I completely agreed with, you know, you can ask them about their life and stuff, and that's interesting. But I always find it a bit more of a thrill because... I think one of the great um, joys of politics is you think, well, how on earth do you think that? And I think this. And obviously both of us think we're right and both of us think the other one's wrong. So who's right and who's wrong? And is that is that even a, a, a thing, right? So I just love talking to other people about how they've drawn a different conclusion. It's almost like seeing it like um, a maths equation to be figured out. How have we taken the same numbers and reached a different conclusion here? And what is it about your life that's made you think this? Usually it is a product of personal experience, that it's something that happened to them in life that has made them either left-wing or right-wing or the influence of a parent or a teacher or uh, the area of the world that they grew up in. And when you understand people like that, you realise that people aren't deliberately choosing their politics to be nasty. On the whole, some do. But mm. on the whole, most people genuinely think they are doing the right thing. And the fact that we all think the right thing is sometimes a very different thing, I think is, a, in a way, taking some of the emotion out of it it is a wonderful conundrum to try and solve. That you said, think, you know, some people, are, <laughs> there are some people that I really disagree with, and that's life. I'm, I'm not going to keep you because I'll let you go and say, do you think we need that's more right. of that? Do you think we need more of that listening in the sense that, like on Twitter, I'll give you an example. <laughs> on the day of the final, Brendan Clark Smith posted something about food banks or parties or whatever. I can't remember what the tweet was. I found really offensive and I didn't bite to it. But if I met Brendan Clark Smith in public, I'd probably be nice to him because I met Ben Bradley in public and we had a nice chat and we don't have much common politically. So I suppose, do you think we just need to listen to people a bit more and not be quite as nasty as we are on social media? I think social media completely distorts our view of other people and ourselves in, in a number of ways and not just um, body shape and expectation and things like that. But our view of our opponents is appalling and and uh, the problem is particularly with twitter is that it kind of encourages you to behave badly to take people down to say this is rubbish it's actually quite a confrontational forum in real life most people on the whole are totally fine i mean if you think of any of your friendship groups or your families there'll be people in your group of friends or family that vote different ways or don't vote or have different views even if they vote for the same party we've existed for god knows how long Perfectly fine with those, you know, obviously the cliches, these things, you know, erupt at Christmas. But on the whole, we're all mature enough to go, well, I'm not going to stop hanging around with him because he voted to leave. Or I'm not going to stop hanging around with him because he liked Jeremy Corbyn. You know, perfectly capable of going, he's really good fun. He's a really nice bloke. We just have different political opinions. You know, that's really the reality of living in this country is on the whole, people are reasonable and they can laugh and joke with each other. Social media is where... I just think it completely distorts so many things. And one of them is that the people we disagree with are appalling. And I think it just encourages a part of your personality. And I've had to check this myself sometimes. I think it does bring out a more negative part of yourself. And there's something about the brevity of tweets that doesn't allow for nuance. So mm. I, I think it kind of encourages you to be a bit more provocative than you would be to people's faces. And I think that's a really bad thing. And I've met people, politicians on social media, are horrific 
they're often the nicest people you'll meet off it. And you just think, what on earth is going on? Now, it doesn't excuse their behaviour on social media. As a politician, you shouldn't be going out there to provoke and to kick the hornet's nest and to wind people's up. So that is that is still negative behaviour that I wish didn't exist. But I think um, I think judge people on what they're actually like is the crucial thing. And, and also just think... What does your social media say about you? Because it's really easy to look at other people's tweets and go, this guy sounds like a prick. And then if you looked at your own tweets, would you look a bit salty? Would you look a bit negative? Would you look a little bit um, nasty at times? And I think for a lot of us at times, the answer is probably yes. Um, therefore, we shouldn't judge other people too hard. I mean, obviously, being outright abusive, that's something completely different. But uh, on the whole, I just think you, you have to be slightly... For, not forgiving, but I, I just think you have to understand that it exists in a particular realm that is that Twitter effectively needs people to behave like that. That's part of the problem is the, the, the fire and the fury is what fuels it, what fuels clicks and retweets and likes that keeps the eyeballs like there's an addictive nature to effectively arguments on Twitter. And it's a form in which people can dunk on each other. And that seems to be almost like the, the tool, it, it seems to be created to do that which is a real shame. Uh, and that's one of the real downsides of it. That said, equally, I mean, there are parts of social media that are wonderful. On Twitter, as you said at the start, I had a wisdom tooth out. I talked about this on Twitter the other day because I was in the pits of despair, blood coming out of my mouth. I couldn't speak. Hundreds of people getting in touch with me telling me that they've been through exactly the same thing and that in the end it'll be fine. So actually, it does depend how you choose to engage on social media. If you just... I got diagnosed with gout a couple of years ago, which is very embarrassing. But I just tweeted about it. It was like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to have a drink again. Because at the time, that's how it looked. And I was genuinely despairing about never being able to have a pint. I got tons, I mean, thousands of messages from people from all over the world saying, oh, it happened to me. Don't worry. You know, you just think, actually, on the whole, people are really, really good. And sometimes how you're choosing to put yourself out there can also affect how people react to you. So... It doesn't excuse other people's poor behaviour, but I think sometimes a bit of uh, a bit of leeway is probably wise. Yeah, and I guess that's the beauty of Wembley, isn't it? I mean, there's thirty-seven thousand Forest fans with thirty-seven thousand different views, and they yes. all come together. Yeah, that's, that's what's great about football. Is this is the thing we've got in common? We've probably got other things in common as well, but the the major thing we've all got in common when we're at the city ground or wherever we're watching Forest is we are all Forest fans. And it doesn't matter where you're from, the colour of your skin, your sexuality, your age, whatever. All that goes out the window. We are all together in that moment. And that is a great thing. If you think about that, that there's a reason why that's so profound. You know, people who don't like football say, oh, it's just 22 men kicking a, a, a ball around. You're like, it's way beyond that. This is about identity. This is about belonging. This is about joy. And that's why Wembley was so special was, you know, we've always had that bond, but it, often it's been without the joy. And finally, thanks to Stevie Cooper, uh, Mr. Maranakis and so many other people at the club, who are wonderful players, we finally got a bit of joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll leave it there. Um, anyone who watched this on YouTube or Facebook, I don't know why my lighting looks like I've got the world's worst Instagram filter on it. It's really like <laughs> washed out. <laughs> if you're listening on iTunes, it doesn't matter. I'm going to try and move it. No, I thought I might even have the shutter halfway over the screen. No. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, if, you, if you like this and enjoyed it, do like and subscribe and keep us high in the podcast charts above the Comedians Play FPL podcast. I know it's today. So that's enjoyable. Have you got any more Ezra or Red Dogs podcasts coming up? Are you so busy now you're going to have to knock that on the head? I don't. It's never been knocked on the head, but I basically have been too busy to do it. But hopefully um, we will do a few. It's just, it's, it's just finding the time at the moment. But um, 
yeah, it, we, we will definitely do some more. We just need to, we just need to get some time. Excellent. Well, I've kept you for a long time. So, uh, Matt, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. And, uh, well, enjoy the Premier League and we'll see you everyone too. next week. Yes. Yeah,